Hello, this is Pastor Nate Ward with Open Door Church, and I wanted to take a moment to welcome you to our podcast. It's my personal prayer that you would be encouraged and encountered by the Holy Spirit and challenged by His Word. May the Lord bless you and stir faith as you listen to this week's message. If you are not involved in a deeper project, please, please find a way to do so. We're, we're so excited for what God's doing in those. And so we've been walking through the story of David in a very close lens in our deeper projects, right? And uh, with that, the Lord has started to stir my heart um, just in doing a study on David for a Sunday morning because I want to be known as a man after God's own heart. I want us to be a church that is marked by passion and love for the Lord. Amen? And so with that, uh, the last few weeks we've been looking at, we started by looking at King Saul actually, looking at David's anointing and his calling to be king. And then last week we kind of hit on like the, like the number one, like the big like blockbuster title of David's life, right? David versus Goliath. It's the story that, you know, even if you haven't been in church, you're familiar with. It's language that has kind of permeated into the culture as well when we're talking about like underdog stories. Everybody knows the story of the little guy versus the giant. And so we talked about that last week, and I, I, had, an, I had a different maybe spin or take on it than what uh, I've typically heard. And I actually shared about the five victories David had to have before he ever got to the battle, right? We looked at his life, we looked at the, 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 the battles that he had to win before he was ever even able to engage Goliath in the first place. And uh, so we looked at those things, and we would consider that like a big spiritual win, like that's a big victory. We talked about how there's spiritual giants in the land that I believe that the Lord wants to call and use his people to take down, Right? And how actually when we're obedient and trust in the Lord and as we follow through these things that the enemy actually falls at the hand of the Lord, but we are equipped with the same tool that the enemy had to destroy the enemy. I realize that was long. If you weren't here last week, we have a podcast of it. It's on our website. Go listen to it. It'll, it'll make sense what we're talking about and where we're going. But this week we're going to pick up the narrative in First uh, Samuel chapter 21. And so uh, there's been a few chapters that have kind of taken place between David's great victory over Goliath and where we're going to pick up here in chapter 21. Uh, notably, <coughs> excuse me, after slaying Goliath, David enters into King Saul's service kind of full-time before he was part-time, just like maybe like 20 hours a week on the payroll on the sideline. Now he's like fully in service to King Saul. He's actually appointed as a commander over all the men of war. Uh, in fact, 1 Samuel 18 tells us that whatever King Saul asked of David, he did it successfully. So Saul made him a commander over the men of war. And so everything that David set himself to do, he did it with such excellence that the people thought it was good, Saul thought it was good, everybody thought it was good for him to be like commander over the entire army. Like that's a big deal to get promoted like that so quickly. Um, and uh, it was just very interesting. We see David introduced to Jonathan and just this friendship that exists there. But with all of this success... It triggers some sort of, uh, it, it triggers a lot of jealousy in King Saul, right? Because all of a sudden the people are singing about how Saul has killed his thousands, but David has killed his, killed his tens of thousands, right? Well, David is like, man, he's stealing the limelight. He's stealing the show. And King Saul is growing completely enraged at this notion. In fact, he decides that he's going to kill David. King Saul is. And so he does this first by way of uh, trying to set him up on a suicide mission, and the reward was going to be that he was going to marry his daughter. And David, because he succeeds in everything that the Lord asks him to do, succeeds in just this really bizarre victory. You guys should read about it. The Bible is super interesting. And, uh, <coughs> and the Lord comes back, or not the Lord, David comes back, he marries 
uh, Saul's daughter. And so now he's son-in-law to the king. And so King Saul's trying to get rid of this guy. And everything he does to get rid of this guy seems like it just comes back like full circle, right? And it just comes back in on himself. And it, he's like being his own failure here. <laughs> and uh, so King Saul is trying to get rid of David. It's not working. And he grows to hate David. So much so that he says, you know what, I'm not even going to try to set him up to kill him. I'm going to take a spear and just try to kill him myself. You see, King Saul started chucking spears at David and other people. And you would think with the amount of practice that he has when we read these, he'd eventually, like, statistical probability should, like, limit him to getting one every once in a while. But he's a terrible shot, right? We called this in our deeper project. He was playing a game of pin the David on the wall, and he was failing at it. Like pin the tail on the donkey. That was a joke I came up with, and nobody in my deeper project laughed except for my wife. But I thought it was funny. So now you guys can give me that courtesy laugh, right? It's like when, yeah, there you go. It's when it was like that late night television. They have the, the sign that comes on that tells the audience when to laugh and when to. I'm just going to do that for you guys. And so. I'm going to put a sign up here, and it says, when to say amen, when to laugh at pastor's jokes. Now you're just laughing at me. You're not laughing at my jokes right now. But right, Saul should like eventually succeed in this, but he doesn't. <laughs> and uh, fortunately, he's a terrible aim. And that's where we wind up here is that, that David after a couple of attempts on his life and his friend Jonathan realizing, oh man, King Saul really does want you dead, really is going to kill you, and he's just kind of lost his mind. David finds himself in a pretty dark, depressing place, and that's where we pick up in 1 Samuel chapter 21. What the heck? I'm in Deuteronomy chapter 21. I don't know how that happened, but that, I was like, that doesn't look right. First, first Samuel chapter 21. I'm going to read this very quickly. It says, David went to the town of Nob to see Ahimelech the priest. Ahimelech trembled when he saw him. Why are you alone, he asked. Why is no one with you? The king has sent me on a private matter, David said. He told me not to tell anyone why I'm here. I have told my men where to meet me later. Now, what is there to eat? Give me five loaves of bread or anything else you have. We don't have any regular bread, the priests replied, but there is the holy bread, which you can have if your young men have not slept with any women recently. <coughs> if you guys haven't picked up on it yet, this is a lie that David's telling. It's important to know. Don't worry, David replied. I never allow any of my men to be with women when they are on campaign. And since they stay clean on every ordinary trip, how much more on this one? Since there, there was, since there was no other food available, the priest gave him the holy bread, the bread of the presence that was placed before the Lord in the tabernacle. It had just been replaced that day with fresh bread. Now Doeg, the Edomite, Saul's chief's herdsman, Chief herdsman was there that day, having been detained before the Lord. David asked Ahimelech, do you have a spear or a sword? The king's business was so urgent that I didn't even have time to grab a weapon. I only have the sword of Goliath the Philistine, whom you killed in the valley of Elah. The priest replied, it is wrapped in a cloth behind the ephod. Take it if you want it, for there is nothing else here. There is nothing like it, David replied. Give it to me. So David escaped from Saul and went to King Ashik of Gath. But the officers of Ashik, or Achis, that name, uh, were unhappy about him being there. Isn't this David the king of the land, they ask? Isn't he the one the people honor with dances and singing? Saul has killed his thousands and David his tens, thousands, tens of thousands. David heard these comments and was very afraid of what King Akish of Gath might do to him, so he pretended to be insane, scratching on the doors and drooling down his beard. Finally, King Akish said to his men, Must you bring me a madman? We already have enough of them around here. Why should I let someone like this be my guest? Lord, thank you for your word. Lord, we thank you that there's so much to glean and learn from it. We're asking that you would speak to us, that your spirit 
Lord, would cause these words to come alive and that our hearts would be enlarged to love you more. We love you and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. This is a pretty interesting story, right? And so I want to talk to you today about faith in the midst of fear. How do we live with faith in the midst of fear? You see, David was living in fear rather than faith. And when we do that, sin comes easily and wisdom escapes us. Right? This was David. This was the guy that was like little pipsqueak, voice was cracking, calling out the giant Goliath, saying, "By oh man, this day I'm going to have your head, right? I'm going to feed you to the beasts of the earth and the birds of the air, and you'll know who God is. Right? He's, he's got like a tenacity, a courage about him. I mean, he was facing Goliath with a slingshot, right? And he was going after it, and he had this trust and this faith that God was going to deliver him and show himself strong. And I don't think there was anything that you could have said to David to discourage that. But notice after victory here, after experiencing success, all of a sudden his trust dwindles. And friends, I believe more often than not where we need to be the most guarded where we need to be the most kind of introspective is after a great spiritual victory. Because we can fight the giants and we can, we can have these victorious moments and if we're not quick to watch ourselves in the aftermath, aftermath of the victory, it's far easier for us to fall. It's easy for us to kind of feel like, oh, we got this. You know what? I took on Goliath. I can do anything. And we lose our guard, don't we? I believe this is a case of what was happening to David here in this story. You see, rather than trusting in God, rather than placing his faith in the God that delivers, we see him trying to take his current situation, which was a mess. I'm not trying to like downplay that. It was a rough situation. David had every right to be afraid, but he didn't have any right to act in fear. Understand that. It's okay to be afraid, but it's not okay to react because of fear. We'll talk about that in a second. That's jumping to a point. But I'm saying this because we see, we see David here, whose confidence used to be in the Lord, he begins to misplace it. He begins to try to scheme and, and pull things in his own manner and begin to, he begins to lie here, right? He shows up in Nob to Ahimelech and he tells this lie, which most of us would probably be like, Dude, he's getting spears chucked at him. He's on the run. He's a fugitive. He's probably got tears running down his face because how many of you know it's, it's easy to face a battle like Goliath and have trust because you know that Goliath is completely bad. But when somebody close to us that's supposed to watch out for us, that's supposed to, supposed to be there for us, hurts us, we, we lose it, don't we? I, I, I know that to be a fact. It's easy for me to like glare down something that's a clear enemy of the gospel or a clear enemy uh, of, of what God wants for my life, i.e. a Goliath, and have so much faith that God can tear that down. But then when like a King Saul, the one that I'm serving, the one that I'm doing everything right for, the one that like my father-in-law, the one that's supposed to be protecting me and watching out for me, turns on me, that's disruptive, is it not? And that's what was happening in David's life. So I imagine he shows up on the scene with tears. I mean, broken, hasn't eaten, exhausted, doesn't know what to do. And when we find ourselves in those situations, it's so easy for us to abandon trust in the Lord. It's so easy for us to kind of give in to the carnal, practical way of thinking to try to find a way to get out of our situation. And that's what was taking place in David's life here. He was looking for a carnal, practical solution to a spiritual problem. And he begins to lie. And it sounds like it's not the first time he's done that because that came pretty naturally and smoothly off his lips. Saying, I've been around people that you know when they're lying. It's like, dude, stop. And then there's people that like lying is like their second language and you never know. It's, it's harder to tell when they're telling the truth, right? Right? 
Tyler was looking at him. He's like, Pastor Nate, I don't know when you're telling the truth. <laughs> we were playing disc golf the other day, and he was just like, Pastor Nate, I thought you were lying. I was telling him a story. What was I telling you? Never mind. It's not important. He's so used to me joking, he has a hard time believing me. So working on it, guys. Working on it. I wrote this. My first point was that when we are living in fear, sin is more easily justified in our eyes. And I believe that that was what was taking place here in David's life. He was living and operating in fear, so it was easy to justify the lie. It's the classic example of, right, the, the, the ends justifying the means. Can I tell you, there is no such principle in Scripture. We cannot expect a holy God to use, uh, to use uh, corruptive, divisive, deceptive maneuvers and still bring about a glorious and holy resolution. We believe that God in his character and his nature is good. That doesn't mean he won't use uh, hard situations or circumstances, but God is never going to ask you to lie or cheat or steal or sin to accomplish his purposes. And I just want to dispel the notion that God would ever have you compromise your integrity or your standing with him because you have to understand he hates that in order to see you through. And I believe this. God is always on your side. There is a solution. I believe that there was a solution here for David that he missed out on that didn't involve him compromising himself morally. He didn't have to lie here, but because he was relying on his own strength, he was relying in his own willpower, he did. And what happens is sad, friends. It's, it's, really, it's really sad. You see, we might all... Um, justify or maybe excuse David's little, what we would call like white lie, right? It's not that big of a deal. We might even be able to read and justify, well, the king's business was urgent, was it not? Right? I mean, Saul really did want to kill David. Maybe he was, maybe we could read into it and like play, like play like a spin on it into where David was kind of halfway telling the truth. We might be able to justify it or excuse it. But this little white lie, this little slip-up of David had disastrous repercussions. If you read in the next chapter, you see 85 of the priests being slain at the hand of King Saul because of the way that they aided and abetted David based upon what David told them. David even goes on to say, I am sorry because their death is on my hands. Not only did 85 slaughtered because of this lie, but the entire city of Nob was decimated. Their family, their women, their children, their livestock was all put to death by Doeg the Edomite. He's a, he's a gnarly bad dude. We don't like Doeg. Don't name your kid Doeg. If you're, kidding, if, if you're serious about like wanting to set your kids up for success, just don't name, name them Doeg. I mean, it's kind of off the list, huh? There we go. doing your kids a favor so when when they're around and you can say you know what I heard Pastor Nate one day tell me not to name you Doeg so there you go Mephibosheth it'll be great <laughs> anyway sorry guys thanks for laughing at me I guess I'd like to say laughing at my jokes but I realize it's just me so what I, what I was saying here that first point was that Sin is always more easily justified in our eyes when we're living and operating in fear. And that sin still has disastrous results. You also can't live off of past victories. I want to tell you to celebrate them, remember them, cherish them. But notice here, David wasn't carried to success in this campaign based upon his victory with Goliath. He didn't just immediately find success because, you know, he was the man. And I think too often we try to ride that wave of success from something else, feel like it's going to carry us in. And so just because we had a spirit, spiritual triumph in one arena or some area, let's consistently check ourselves and be on guard. Does that make sense? I was talking about that just a few minutes ago, and I, 
had it out of order in my notes. But The second thing I want to highlight out of this chapter is that when we are living in fear, stupidity abounds. <laughs> Guys, when you're afraid and when you're responding to fear, you make stupid decisions. Just so, just so you understand, just so you know, it is never a healthy place when you're afraid of something or afraid of an outcome. Don't make big decisions um, when you're clearly afraid of something. I believe people do this all the time with their money. I believe that we fail to listen to the Lord and trust God with how we're supposed to spend time or with people. I, I, don't, know how many, I don't know how many people... I'll say this. I know too many men of God that got married young because they were afraid of missing out and they didn't wait on the Lord. And I, I'm, just, I'm just saying when we operate and let fear be our master, we make bad decisions. And that's what was happening here with David. I want you to think about it for a second, right? He shows up, he's leaving Nob with the sword of Goliath. And he thinks about, hmm, where should I go? Let's go to the Philistines. Let's go to Gath, where Goliath was from. And I'm going to show up on their doorstep with Goliath's sword, and maybe they'll welcome me in, right? It's like, like that thinking like the friend or the enemy of my enemy is a friend kind of a deal. I, I, I don't know what white you could paint this in. It was a bad idea. It was stupidity for David to run to Gath. I'm just saying that, David, you done messed up, boy. That was not a good idea. And so 1 Samuel here doesn't give us all the details of what takes place, but if you read in the book of Psalms, we, we, we gather the fact that he was actually held captive by the Philistines in Gath here. The songs that he write described his torment and his captivity that took place here. When you just read 1 Samuel chapter 21, it just kind of sounds like he showed up and then pretended to be crazy and just went on his way. But he was actually captured because uh, the Philistines weren't dumb. They knew who he was. It wasn't like he was escaping their like, reputation. Isn't this the guy that just like, went to town on the Philistines? Yes, he is. I'm just saying, guys, when we are living in fear rather than faith, we make really dumb decisions. People like to throw it the other way around and make, make it seem like the people that are living in faith are stupid, right? You remember, you remember the story of Noah? It had never rained before. God told him to build a boat, and in faith, he responds in obedience. And the people are like, yo, that's dumb. Why are you wasting your time, Noah? But can I tell you, when we operate in faith, 100% of the time, it's the smart decision. When we're living in faith, it is always worth our time. And it's actually in this place of distress and desperation where we understand that uh, David was captured by the Philistines, um, and that he was tortured, he was tormented by his enemy, that eventually he feigns madness and escapes. But I want us to look at a little bit of that time that he spent in captivity. So turn with me to Psalm 56. So the two things that living in fear do are one, <coughs> it makes it easy for us to justify sin makes it easy for us to kind of make excuses for the little things when we're operating in fear and live by the mentality that the means will justify the end, which we understand is just not true. There's disastrous results. The second thing when we're living in fear that we kind of glean from this text is that it just makes us stupid. It makes us do foolish, stupid things, and we wind up in less than ideal circumstances. So in Psalm 56, I'm going to read this here to you. It says, For the choir director, a psalm of David, regarding the time the Philistines seized him in Gath to be sung to the tune, Dove on Distant Oaks. 
Tyler, can you come and play Dove of Distant Oaks? <laughs> oh God, have mercy on me. For people are hounding me. My foes attack me all day long. I am constantly hounded by those who slander me, and many are boldly attacking me. But when I am afraid, I will put my trust in you. I praise God for what he has promised. I trust in God, so why should I be afraid? What can mere mortals do to me? They are always twisting what I say. They spend their days plotting to harm me. They come together to spy on me, watching my every step, eager to kill me. Don't let them get away with their wickedness. In your anger, O oh God, bring them down. You keep track of all my sorrows. You have collected all my tears in your bottle. You have recorded each one in your book. My enemies will retreat when I call to you for help. This I know, God is on my side. For I praise God for what he has promised. Yes, I praise the Lord for what he has promised. I trust in God, so why should I be afraid? What can mere mortals do to me? I will fulfill my vows to you, O God, and will offer a sacrifice of thanks for your help. For you have rescued me from death. You have kept my feet from slipping. So now I can walk in your presence, O Lord, in your life-giving light. I particularly love this psalm because it, it comes from a place of a man that has truly hit rock bottom, right? I see here, I see a turning point in this story from where uh, as we continue to read through the rest of David's life, especially his time on the run from King Saul, this right here marks a pivotal turning point where he ceases to operate in fear. That doesn't mean he's not afraid later. We'll read in the Psalms. He's consistently struggling with this fear of the fact that somebody's out to kill him. People are trying to kill him and get his head. He's still afraid in that sense, but we see him rightfully placing his trust back in God. So it's my, my understanding here that he had one of those come to Jesus moments, is what we would call it, while he was in captivity in Gath. And he wrote this song to the Lord. And something changed. I don't know, maybe, maybe there was some divine inspiration that the Lord released to him while he was in Gath, and all of a sudden, you know, oh, I'm going to feign madness to get out of here. Thank you, Jesus. Uh, whatever, I don't know what that looks like, but I do see a turning point existing in this story. I, I, I think it starts here right at the beginning where he says, have mercy on me, Lord. You guys remember how we've been defining mercy and grace? We define grace as a gift that uh, we don't deserve, but God gives anyway. And we, decide, we define mercy in the sense that it is something we do deserve, but God doesn't give us, right? When we're saying, have mercy on me, judge, it means that we deserve the speeding ticket, but he's not going to give it to us, right? That's, does that make sense? Is that relevant for you, Tyler? Yeah. <laughs> Tyler got a speeding ticket last night, guys. Pray for him. He's suffering. I'm sorry. I'm really, outside, of Del, or outside of South Fork. Yeah. Nobody warns you, man, that there's always cops right there. We did you dirty, bro. I'm sorry. <laughs> no, but right, so we, getting back on track here. Mercy is when it's something we do deserve is withheld, right? That's why we talk about the mercy that Jesus gives to us because we actually deserve punishment for our sin. We deserve what Jesus embraced on the cross for us. That's the punishment. Death is the punishment for our sin. But yet Jesus took it. And so when, we, when we're telling Lord have mercy on us, it's talking about we actually deserve this. But we're asking you to be merciful. We're asking for you to withhold. And so what I see here is a picture of a man that realizes the situation that he's found himself in is actually his fault. He doesn't try to blame King Saul. He doesn't try to blame, uh, he doesn't try to kind of pass it off. He doesn't try to look at these other places. But I believe when he begins with these words, Lord, have mercy on me. I believe it's almost a, a sense where he recognizes, God, I messed up. I found myself in this situation and I need your mercy. I don't deserve it, but I need it. Does that make sense? So David is asking for something other than what he deserves. He recognizes that his current predicament is a result of his own actions. 
And rather than offer up excuses for the lie that he told and the situation that he finds himself in, he asks for mercy before he brings his plea to the Lord. Because there are still people trying to kill him, right? There are still people trying to, to take his life, and he really does have enemies. He's got captives and tormentors that are trying to bring this upon him. But I think when we read about this have mercy, it shows the condition and the state of where David's heart is, is that he realizes he needs the mercy of God here. And he goes on to say, when I am afraid, I will trust in you. I love this passage of scripture. It's one that I continue to come back to, right? We have David, right? The mighty warrior king, right? The guy that's just kicking butt wherever he goes, and it's, he's afraid here. And I love it, just the fact that when he's afraid, he makes a conscious decision. This is the hard part. This is where it's easy for us to kind of miss this. He makes a decision to place trust in the Lord even when it's not the easy thing to do. You see, I don't believe it's a sin to be afraid. I know that there's passages of Scripture where God tells you to fear not, and he's giving explicit command, but we all experience fear on some level. There's always something that exists that causes us to be afraid in some sense or another. I believe it becomes sin when we give in to fear and let it make the decisions for us. Does that make sense? When we, live in con- when we live controlled by fear, not when we're afraid, is the difference here. And what we saw at the beginning of the story was David was living in response to that fear, right? He was making decisions because he was afraid rather than trusting in God. And when circumstances and situations rear their head at us that we don't have answers or solutions to, it's imperative that we trust in the Lord in those seasons. That we place our trust in Him. We need to have a heart like David does here. and I mean, he's in rock bottom. He's in a situation he kind of got himself into. Yes, it didn't, he wouldn't have been here in the first place if Saul wasn't trying to kill him but he didn't have to make the decisions that he made, right? We go on to read. I want to highlight verse 4. It says, I praise God for what he has promised. I trust in God, so why should I be afraid? What can mere mortals do to me? This is a passage of scripture, or this is a a theme that's reiterated three times. He says that he'll praise God for his promises. In your translation, it might say that he'll praise God for his word. That's something that I love about David. He consistently comes back to the word of the Lord and what God has already spoken about situations. And I think it's important for us, friends, to place the word of God in a high level of honor in our life that we can come back to it again and again. Friends, it is very hard to trust God if you don't know the God that you're trusting. You will never trust a God that you don't know. And you get to know him through this book. You get to know him through his word. It's so imperative. You wonder, you, you try to do the Jesus thing. You try to do the God thing. And it continually falls short. How much time do you give? And do you, do you really surrender to getting to know the God of this book? The God of this word. I love that because David had a promise from the Lord, right? You remember Samuel anointing that little boy with oil in front of all of his brothers? David knew that God had called him to be king and that there was a word spoken over his life. And here in the place where he's sitting, probably in a prison cell, in a dungeon, here in Gath, he realizes, man, I have made some mistakes and I'm here, but God, I trust you, and what you said is going to come, through for, come to fruition. And somebody here this morning, you need to know that he who began a good work in you, he who began a good work in your family, in your children, in your friends, in your parents, he's faithful to see it to completion. He doesn't let his promises return void. You can trust him 
especially when you're afraid. And then in conjunction with this, I love verse 8 where he talks about how God knows your sorrow. He says that you keep track of all of my sorrows. You have collected all my tears in your bottle and you have recorded each one in your book. Friends, your suffering, the hardships that you're facing, God isn't just kind of like absent-minded about it. He's not... He's not forgetful about what you're going through. And don't let anybody downplay what you're going through either. I understand that we live, uh, we live real life, and sometimes things just, I mean, they, sometimes they just suck. Can we say that? Like, life is hard sometimes. There are things that should grieve us. There are things that we don't have answers for. And whether it be because of our own doing or something else, that doesn't mean that God doesn't see the hardship. He doesn't see the sorrow. He doesn't see the things that keep you up at night and the tears that you shed. He does see those things. Wow. He does see. He keeps track of it too. And I, So I'm a relatively new dad. And uh, I love my little boy. But there was, there was a situation not too long ago where another little boy uh, put his hands on my fin and caused him to cry. And can I tell you, as a dad, man, I didn't care if that kid was three years old. I wanted to drop kick him because he made my boy cry. I didn't. I'm not going to prison yet. Um, but can I tell you, I, I, I got a glimpse of how God feels about his kids in that moment. And as, as inferior of a father as I am to the Lord, I want you to know God takes the things that hurt you, the hardships and the troubles, and the sorrow that you have very seriously because he loves you. And he'll kick some kid's butt too. I'm telling you, he will. And David counts on that. He counts on the justice of a loving God to be his vindication. Mm, turn with me to Psalm 34. I love this because this is the psalm. So Psalm 56, he wrote while he was in the throes of his time in Gath, right? And he's, he's in Gath. He's being tormented. He's, being, he's just being tortured by the Philistines. He's in the grip of the enemy. But when he escapes from Gath after feigning madness... That's actually what this says. He pins these words and he sings this song. It says, A psalm of David regarding the time he pretended to be insane in front of Abimelech who sent him away. I will praise the Lord at all times. I will constantly speak his praises. I will boast only in the Lord. Let all who are helpless take heart. Come, let us tell of the Lord's greatness. Let us, let us exalt his name together. I prayed to the Lord and he answered me. He freed me from all of my fears. How good is that, guys? He freed him from all, all of his fears. This is a different confidence. This is a different man that we're reading about here. He's saying, he freed me from all of my fears. Those who look to him for help will be radiant with joy. No shadow of shame will darken their faces. In my desperation, I prayed and the Lord listened. He saved me from all of my troubles. For the angel of the Lord is a guard. He surrounds and defends all who fear him. Taste and see that the Lord is good. Oh, the joys of those who take refuge in him. Fear the Lord, you his godly people. For those who fear him will have all they need. 
Even strong young lions sometimes go hungry, but those who trust in the Lord will lack no good thing. Come, my children, and listen to me, and I will teach you to fear the Lord. Does anyone want to live a life that is long and prosperous? Then keep your tongue from speaking evil and your lips from telling lies. Turn away from evil and do good. Search for peace and work to maintain it. The eyes of the Lord watch over those who do right. His ears are open to their cries for help. But the Lord turns his face against those who do evil. He will erase their memory from the earth. The Lord hears his people when they call to him for help. He rescues them from all of their troubles. The Lord is close to the brokenhearted. He rescues those whose spirits are crushed. The righteous person faces many troubles, but the Lord comes to the rescue each time. Did you guys hear that? The righteous person faces many troubles, but the Lord comes to the rescue each time. Oh, this, this is not in my notes, friends, but if you desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus, you will suffer persecution. We don't like to, we don't like, Timothy, shut up. That's actually Paul writing to Timothy. Um, but uh, we don't want to, we don't want to like say yes and amen to that, right? We don't want to say yes and amen to the fact that the righteous person is going to face many troubles. Friends, you should expect opposition. You should expect hardship. You should expect trouble. And I realize that's not like, oh man, sign me up for that, right? Even Jesus himself says, in this life, you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world, right? Here, we see this again, that the righteous person will face many troubles, but the Lord comes to rescue each time. You guys didn't get excited about that. The Lord will come to rescue each time. Friends, as much trouble, as much hardship, as much, ad, uh, uh, as much uh, uh, kind of turmoil that exists in your life, there is an equal proportion and more so of grace to accomplish and reign victorious over that turmoil and that struggle. And he will come through each time. I can say that, friends, because I can look back on everything that I thought was going to break me and that it was going to be the end and that was it and I was just going to die and the Lord was going to take me. And I can look back on the last number of years where I thought there was no possible solution to the problems at hand and I'm here today to say that he comes through each and every time. You may not like his timing, you may not like the way that he does it, but he comes through strong and you can trust him. Calamity, oh, I'm skipping over. For the Lord protects the bones of the righteous, not one of them is broken. Calamity will surely overtake the wicked and those who hate the righteous will be punished, but the Lord will redeem those who serve him. No one who takes refuge in him will be condemned. Man, the, the, the words that David writes here after like pretending to be crazy, right? <laughs> what? Everybody said something like weird. Something says mine too. Anyway, um, that's exciting, is it not? Hmm. I love this. He's going to praise the Lord at all times. That's how this psalm starts. He's going to constantly speak his praises. There's something to be said, whether things are, I mean, Saul is still hunting David down here when he's singing this. I'm going to praise the Lord at all times. There's still bounty on his head, right? Things aren't just better because he got out. I mean, he's still by himself and through all of this, right? I mean, he hasn't got his mighty men. He's not like started to like rally people to himself. He's still in, a, I mean, nothing about his situation has changed except for he just got like, uh, he got rid of Gath, and so it was kind of like he was in this dark place, and then he sidestepped and just took two steps, like two steps deeper into a mess because he started lying and just making bad decisions and decided to go get like help from the Philistines, which was just a really bad idea. And it's not like God just brought him out victorious and said, hey, you're king now, everything's good, right? No, he just kind of started him back to where he started and gives him an opportunity to make better decisions this time, <laughs> And in the midst of that, he has this song. King's still out for him. Still doesn't have anything to his name. 
He probably doesn't have Goliath's sword anymore because I don't think the Philistines were just going to give that back to him when he was, like, being crazy. Um, like, <laughs> I, I really want it. Guys, when we get to heaven, I'm checking this one out, like, on Netflix, you know? The whatnot, the like the video library of Bible stories, because I want to see this one in depth. Like, I want to see the behind-the-scenes kind of like, what was, this is going to be awesome. But with all of that, right, it's just kind of crazy, isn't it? I love his response, that he would constantly speak his praises and that he would boast only in the Lord. Come, let us tell of the Lord's greatness. Let us exalt his name together. Because he prayed to the Lord, and he answered me. And freed me from all my fears. Hmm. Guys, fear is a fear is a big deal. All right, when we first started talking about King Saul, we, we boiled it down to the fact that King Saul made his poor decisions because he was afraid. Right? He lived his life in fear of what people thought of him rather than what God asked of him and that reared its head in insecurity and became a just a a crippling thing for King Saul we see David here beginning off because he's afraid of what man can do to him and there's only one solution to fear friends there's only one there's only one way to deal with fear And that's to grasp an appropriate fear. In verse 9, it says, Fear the Lord, you his godly people. For those who fear him will have all they need. It goes on to talk about the fear of the Lord, that David would teach the fear of the Lord. See, David was delivered from his fears when he found the one that he needed to fear. I know that sounds weird. I know that sounds strange. But friends, when we hold the Lord in right regard, when we fear him, when we have right honor for him, when we respond appropriately with the fear of the Lord, we respond in obedience to him, which also means that we trust him. And we de- we're delivered from every other fear. I do not believe you can fear the Lord and fear man at the same time. I believe it's an impossibility. And if we want to be released from fear, that doesn't mean we won't get afraid. That doesn't mean like things don't like cause us to take a step back. But if we want to, get li- if we want to live free from the crippling weight of fear, we have to grasp a holy revelation of the one that is worthy to be feared. Does that make sense? That's why David says, what can man do to me? Actually, quite a lot, David. You know, Saul could hit you with a spear, right? You could die. At the end of all, David's like, I don't give a rip, (laughs) right? If we want to experience freedom from fear, It's going to be found in us appropriately fearing the Lord. One of the best ways that I think we can do that, I think that one of the the most, one of the primary ways that we can generate, if you will, this kind of respect, this kind of awe, this kind of fear of the Lord that we've talked about. You guys have heard my teachings on the fear of the Lord a lot. I believe a primary way for that to be initiated, for that to grow in our life, is in the place of worship. And I think that's why David has such a healthy understanding of the fear of the Lord. That's why we see him constantly throughout the entire book of Psalms, praising the Lord, regardless of if it's good or bad. David was a man after God's own heart because he was a worshiper. And I believe that fostered a fear of the Lord in him that released him from every other kind of fear. And I'm not going to go too far down that road because, guys, uh, Pastor Tyler is going to share next week. And I'm pretty positive we determined that he's going to be talking about worship and David's life as a worshiper. I'm excited for you guys to be here and 
be a part of that. We're, we're excited for what God's going to do. But I want to pray for you, and I want to pray for us, because it says here that he prayed earnestly to the Lord, and he delivered him from all of his fears. And I believe that we can simply ask the Lord to deliver us from our fears, and he will. He'll give us an appropriate fear of himself, and that he'll take the rightful place in our life and receive glory. So, Father, I thank you for my friends and my family here this morning. Lord, I thank you for this church. Lord, I thank you that you help us. So, Lord, we earnestly ask, God, that you would release us from fear. Lord, we can't, we can't just stop being afraid. We need your help. We need you to have mercy on us, God. We need to experience your hand of deliverance. So, Lord, would you do just that within this house? Lord, I'm asking that no one here would be, uh, <coughs> would fill their restraints of making decisions based out of fear. Lord, whether it be fear of man, fear of repercussion, fear of anything, Lord, other than a holy fear of displeasing you. And I'm asking that you'd come and take the first place in our hearts once again. Lord, that we might worship you, Lord, freely. Lord, that we might have revelation of how good you actually are. And that you would foster a healthy fear of the Lord in our lives. For your glory and for your fame. In Jesus' name. Thank you for listening to this week's message. Our ministry is made possible entirely by the faithful generosity of people just like you. If you were blessed by this message and would like to partner with what the Lord is doing in Pagosa Springs, visit us online at www.opendoorpagosa.com. Here you can give, see our service times, and stay connected with Open Door Church. We hope to see you soon.